speak through this man of God we're ready to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together for Davis Moore. Thanks, Chris. That was really nice. I appreciate that. Um, well, my name is Davis. Uh, like Chris said, I've been uh, a part of this community for uh, seven years. My wife and I met through Life Group here, and we're just so grateful to call this our church home. Um, how many of you know that only time and trials can sometimes create stability and joy with God in life? And uh, we're just grateful that we've rode through some of those time and trials that we've had here, and God has um, got to see us through, and we get to be here today. Um, so today, I'm excited. I'm encouraged to share with you. Um, what I've come to tell you is that from a place of rest, as we are in our Selah series, is where we will find our invitation to partner with God and his kingdom purposes. It is from the place of rest, not for a place of rest. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to start. Um, God, we love you. Will you just meet with people? Um, will your presence and your goodness and your kindness and your love be more real to them when they walk out this door than when they came in? Amen. Amen. So, um, a lot of you are uh, parents in this room. A lot of you, I saw a lot of kids in the room. A lot of you parents to ages four through seven. Um, and so I'm going to share a little story with you of when I was five and a half of learning to ride a bike without training wheels. I'm sure a lot of you have gotten the privilege to train your kids how to ride a bike with training wheels or without training wheels and the growing pains that go through it. I look forward to hopefully getting to do that with my kids someday. Um, but Mallory, we throw that picture up on the um, so I grew up here in Sandy, Utah, Utah boy, um, and I, this was uh, me with my squad, we were the Jeep squad, my grandpa got me that Jeep when I was five years old, and my friends were so jealous that they asked their parents to get the exact same one, and so we mobbed around Sega Lily Drive with those Jeeps, and um, I still have fond memories of that. Um, and they were a few years older than me, um, and so we rode bikes a lot. And I, so I was the last one with training wheels, um, and consistently, the guy on the left that's looking a popsicle, his name's Taylor, would give me a lot of crap that I couldn't ride without training wheels. Um, and finally, there was one day that I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I don't think you'll ever be able to wear, ride without training wheels. And something within me welled up this muster of courage. My mom reminded me this morning, and I said, give me your bike. <laughs> I'm going to show you. And so his bike was substantially bigger than mine, I think close to an adult size. And apparently I had a hat on, and I turned it backwards, and I took his bike, and I rode, and I went for it. <laughs> And I remember, I, I actually, I remember it so clearly of this first few seconds of riding down Sega Lily of like, is this the worst decision I've ever made? Am I going to die in my little five-year-old brain? But then when I started riding and going, it was the most exhilarating feeling. I just remember being like, I'm doing it. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, man, and I just, just wanted to share that, not uh, to share my story of a bike, but to, to share that sometimes in life with God, uh, that we need training wheels to teach us uh, and to grow us in a process that God takes us through so that when we are off the training wheels, we can have the courage to ride faster and farther from him. And I truly believe that scripture validates this and that we find those training wheels in our rest. Um, and so a little uh, outline of where I'm going. Get your notes out. I'm a notes guy. If you are a note taker, your, your notebook, your journal, your... Um, your phone. Um, so we're mostly going to be camping out in Isaiah 6, 
verses 1 through 9, and we're going to look at a progression of how God takes Isaiah through a process before he's sent, and then I'm going to parallel it also to Luke 5, where Jesus meets with Peter in a similar way, and how that applies to our lives. Um, So if we want to get Isaiah 6 up on the screen, and I'm going to read it out of my Bible, out of the ESV. Awesome. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood a seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and thresholds shook at the voice of him who was called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Um, And I'm just going to take you through eight points of observation that I see here of a progression that the Lord takes takes Isaiah on that I truly believe that still is applicable today to us. So the first thing I see um, that we can do is we get real with our emotions before the Lord. The reason I say this is that in verse 1, the first thing that Isaiah says is, in the year that King Uzziah died. And so I was curious as to why Isaiah in this passage would mention something like that in his relationship with King Uzziah, of why that was a marking moment for him when he had this encounter with God. And so we're going to go to uh, a, a fair bit of scripture here. Second Chronicles 26, uh, verses 1 through 5, and 15b uh, through 23. And this is the story of King Uzziah. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Aloth and was restored in Judah, and after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecolam of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He had set himself to seek God in those days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And then we're going to go to uh, skip a little ahead to 15b. Um, And his fame spread far, And he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense of the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went went in after him with with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and you will bring no honor from the Lord God. 
Then Uzziah was angry. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and he became angry with the priests. Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. Then they rushed out quickly. He himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. Being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Next slide. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah, the prophet of son of Amos, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper. And Jotham reigned in his place. Thanks for bearing with me. That was a lot of scripture. So the reason I share that um, is to give a little context of King Uzziah had a large rise, and when he followed uh, the decrees of God and, and his heart was humble, uh, he, he reigned well. And when his heart was proud, it's a, the, the scripture says, when he grew strong, he was proud, and, and God did not honor that. Um, and Isaiah, in this, according to this, was his scribe. So in that day, there was a scribe of the king, and he, uh, the scribe, would essentially take down the notes and essentially document every move of the king in his life. And so Isaiah was very, very intimately um, involved with King Uzziah. He knew of him almost every day. Um, According to the scriptures, Uzziah was a leper for 12 years before dying. And if you were a leper in that day, it was uncurable. And so you had to stay isolated from the entire community. So he was isolated in this place. Um, And in the New Testament, it talks about um, how people would, if there was a leper, you actually, by Jewish law, had to point at the person and say, unclean. And so needless to say, Uzziah had a large fall um, and Isaiah was a part of it. Some scholars believe that Isaiah and Uzziah were cousins. And so all that to be said, if I were Isaiah, if I had seen all of this, if I had been a part of that process um, with Uzziah and put a lot of hope, a lot of trust, it was probably his main connection to God. A lot of the time people looked to kings and looked, looked to prophets to hear from God for themselves rather than having personal relationship with God. So there was a good chance that Uzziah, or Isaiah looked to Uzziah to be able to know God and to know who he was. Um, and so if I were anything like Uzziah, I would be upset. I would be frustrated, confused, concerned. I'd also be questioning the heart and the character of God. The person that I looked to the most, although had a lot of issues and made a bad decision, was struck with leprosy by God and was just lived a miserable life for 12 years. I'd be really, really, really confused and frustrated and hurt and upset. But it was in the place that Isaiah was processing this and looking towards what's next and trying to take ownership of his faith for himself. How many of you know that it's good to have parents to help us out? It's good to have mentors. But at the end of the day, you have to have faith for yourself. It has to be your own. It has to be authentic. You have to know the Lord for yourself until it becomes real and it becomes concrete to get you through those hard times. And it wasn't until then, until God revealed himself. It was in that place that God showed up. So Isaiah was wrestling, um, Isaiah was struggling, Isaiah had a lot of questions, and God reveals himself in this grand entrance in himself. And as I processed that, I thought about my own life and what that looked like, and God challenged me and asked me the question, um, what has had to die in your life 
for, you, for me to see God. And for me, I had to ask those questions a lot throughout. There were relationships. It wasn't necessarily a person. It was relationships. It was hindrances and beliefs about myself and about the world and how God operated that held me in a place that I didn't get to see God. I put God in a box for so long because of my own insecurities and my own life experiences that I didn't actually get to truly see him for who he was. Um, one of those in my life that I believe for so long is that God helps those who help themselves. But if you look in the scriptures and you look, um, you, you look closely at that, that is not the heart and the intention of God. Um, that he is, he draws near to the brokenhearted and he is with us at all time. And he is not looking for us to perform or looking for us um, to do anything or to strive to be able to, uh, to provide us help in our time of need. And so my question to you is, is there anything in your life that needs to die or needs to go away for you to see God rightly? Um, so something to think about. Uh, point number two, we seek God to see God. So in that space, Isaiah is in, most likely in the temple. So he's probably alone, but he's also in a space that other people are around him and with him um, worshiping God, seeking the Lord in the same place. Um, Arlena touched on this a couple weeks ago and crushed it. Um, it is in that daily pursuit of God that we get to see the Lord, that we get to, uh, get to know him, we get to actually experience him and have a revelation of his love. Um, it is in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, is a promise from Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so that is a promise from Jesus that when we seek him, both in our own quiet time, in our own personal space daily and corporately, whether that be in a life group setting, which I'd strongly encourage you to get in, involved with if you haven't, um, it is a place that you meet with God and grow with people and it is wonderful. And in a corporate setting on a Sunday, that is what creates that space for God to be known and God to show up. Um, and in that space, we are promised that God will show up, not in the way that we think he should, not in the way we expect, um, whether it be a large uh, moment that is marking like Isaiah has or a small still voice, as it says in the scripture. Point number three, we receive a revelation of the majesty of God. God reveals himself to Isaiah in a way that is marking and that he will never forget, that he was forever changed by. Sometimes it's this majestic thing, and sometimes, like I said, it's a small thing. Something for me that there was a marking moment was my baptism. Um, I got baptized about two years after I started following God, and it was the first time that I fully like, felt like I heard God clearly, and all I felt like God was saying is, you're clean, you're clean, you're whole. And that stuck with me of the majesty, like the revelation of God and who he is in his heart for me. And that stuck with me and that helped me to propel forward. And when times got tough, I remembered that time uh, because I sought the Lord um, and I put myself in a position to see him and he revealed himself. Um, in, the, in the scripture, it is, um, it is verse three, the, the, the heavenly creatures say, holy, 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 Lord of hosts the whole earth is filled with his glory. And that is actually repeated multiple times throughout scripture. God desires to reveal himself and reveal who he is and how beautiful and majestic and glorious he is. He just desires for his people to see him rightly. And so we, when we seek the Lord, we find the Lord and we get to receive a revelation of the majesty of God. 
Number four, we exalt God in response to seeing him. We've talked about that a lot in this rest series. We, that is the E of the, of the rest acronym. We exalt God. We essentially put him forward. We magnify him, making him larger to our perspective. He's not larger to himself, but larger to us. When we magnify him, making him more real, making those encounters last and, and making it stick in our hearts and our minds so that we might be able to move forward with God and move into what he's asking us to do. Um, just as all of the uh, Isaiah, as well as the heavenly creatures, exalted God in response to seeing him, we are invited to exalt him in praise, which creates a space in us for him to speak. Point number five, we are exposed to our sin and humanity in the presence of God, which breeds humility. Isaiah responds after he is exalting the Lord. And after he has this in verse five and says, woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for I've seen the Lord, the King of hosts. Um, in the presence of God, there is nothing that can live that is not of him, that is not of his heart. And when we see him, just like Chris said, that we realize that there is a God and, I, and we are not him. Um, and there's just something, even though it is exposing, even though it is so hard, even though it's so humbling, it is so sweet because we can just be what we are. And that is okay with God. God wants to meet us in that. But we are exposed of those places of those things in our life that we can't fix, but that God exposes because nothing can live in his presence that is not of him. And so we're exposed of our humanity. We're exposed of the humanity and the brokenness around us. Isaiah says he realizes not only his own unclean lips, but the unclean lips of the generation of the people around him. And so we, we start to see that, gosh, I, I need help. And other people need help, but it, it creates a humility. It does not create a bitterness or an entitlement, but it creates a humility that only God can meet. Isaiah has, is not revealed of this need, revealed of this hole in his heart until he actually sees God rightly. And so I want to encourage us today that in that, that only God can expose and reveal those things, that it is not our job to expose those things for other people, but God will do that in our humility. Point number six, we receive an atonement. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, yeah. So Isaiah, um, there's this interesting uh, transaction that happens that the, one of the heavenly creatures um, having in his hand a burning coal touches the tongue and the lips of Isaiah. And I wanted to bring up activated charcoal because that is something similar. In college, um, I made some poor decisions sometimes, and sometimes I drank a lot, and I would have hangovers. And so my mom turned me on to activated charcoal. <laughs> uh, this was pre-Jesus. Um, <laughs> I can laugh at myself. It's fine. Um, and so active, I, at the time, I was like, what is activated charcoal? That sounds so weird and uh, silly, and that I thought you just cooked with charcoal. Um, and so WebMD gives a great, um, great uh, definition of activated charcoal, um, and how that, and I'll show how that relates. 
Activated charcoal has pores that can trap chemicals. It is typically taken by mouth as a treatment for some swallowed poisons. Charcoal is made from peat, coal, wood, coconut shell, or petroleum. Activated charcoal is made by heating charcoal in the presence of a gas. This process, the charcoal takes to develop its internal spaces and pores. These pores help activated charcoal trap chemicals or impurity. Activated charcoal is commonly used to treat poisoning. It is also used for high cholesterol, hangovers, and upset stomach. And the reason I bring that up to you is that this burning coal off of the altar of God that was in the presence of God, this winged creature comes and touches Isaiah's lips and it swallows up, it erases, it absorbs everything from Isaiah. All of the feelings of brokenness, all of that humanity is taken away from him, that feelings of guilt and shame. And what a wonderful thing that was in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came and got to be that active, that, that burning coal for us. He got to be the one that hung on the cross and took our shame literally absorbed it into his own body and dealt with it so that we could be righteous and free in his sight. And so that atonement, the the word atonement means a reparation for an offense or injury. Those things that, that sin that was in us that was swallowed, that chemical, that toxic poison that was in us that we couldn't get out of us was removed from Isaiah and is removed from us on Jesus on the cross. And so a couple verses to show this. Um... John 1, 29. This is John the Baptist uh, referring to Jesus in his more, more or less of his coming out party. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he took the sins on him. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin. He literally absorbed sin into his own body so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we might be free from the things that trapped and hindered us before. And so we receive that atonement. And from that place, point number seven, we receive our assignment. And um, this is the fun part because then we get to partner with God. But first we go through this transaction. We go through this encounter with God. We see him, we love him. Um, Our hearts are changed. We realize of our sin, but our sin is taken away from us. And then from that place, Isaiah, and I believe us, we receive our assignment. It says, in verse eight. And I heard the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It is an invitation that is given to Isaiah. It is not a forced thing. It's he, God does not say you are doing this. He says, who shall I? Who wants to? Are you available? Are you willing? I just changed your life. You saw me. Now that you saw me, will you go? Will you go with me? It wasn't from a place of go with me and then see me. It was, you saw me, you were changed by me, and now you get to go. And I still believe that God is saying that today to us. He's asking that question for, uh, for the people of God that have encountered him in the midst of the last two years that has, have made us shrink back and stay to ourselves. People nowadays talk to strangers less than ever before because of fear. And I believe that God, when people are shrinking back, the people of God are being asked to step forward and say, here I am, send me. And I believe that it's not just in a way of these large mouthpieces like Isaiah that go to the nations and say things. It's, it's to each and every one of us that get to go to our workplaces. I know a ton of you work in corporate America and the, and the difficulties and the struggles and the brokenness there. Like, it is such a space that you get to step into with God. You get to step in with your families and redeem the past of, 
of generations of curses and brokenness and, and you get to step in and be a light and a change and you can be sent to your family. Uh, you can be sent to, your, to our city, uh, to the population that needs the broken and the vulnerable that need to hear the hope the most. And so just a reminder that it comes from that place of rest. It comes from that process that we have with God, not for it. And the last point, point number eight, is we respond and obey. So Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And so Isaiah responds to the call. He does not, he does not give God excuses. He does not say, but I'm too busy, but look at all these things that are wrong with me, because they were already taken care of. They were already absorbed. Um, and God just wants us to be humble and just say, send me. And that just leads Isaiah on a whole journey and a process that was hard, but was beautiful. And now we get to read his words 3,000 years later and be encouraged by it just because he said, here I am, Lord, send me. And so in the same way, Jesus takes Peter on this similar journey. And I'm going to pull up Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And then I have... um, all the places that in that same progression in a little bit of a different order that Peter gets to be a part of this to show that um, it's not just an Old Testament thing, but it's a Jesus thing. So Luke chapter five. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genezareth and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, seek the Lord to see the Lord. Simon was nearby listening to the preaching, was moving in towards Jesus to hear him. He asked to put out the nets or put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your catch nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let the nets down. Simon was honest. He was, he was real with God, and uh, he didn't avoid that with God. He, um, he was honest, but still took a step of faith. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in, to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. They receive a revelation of the majesty of God, of the miracle of what God can do. When it looks like there's nothing, God can provide more than enough. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, a posture of exaltation. He exalted God in response to seeing this miracle, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He is exposed of a sin in the presence of a mighty, glorious God that performed things far greater than he could ever imagine and realizes that, wow, maybe I'm not worthy of this. But then, thank God for Jesus. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the fish they catched. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. That is his atonement. It is, it is Jesus casting faith into him and taking away his fear. And that atonement happens. From now on, you will be catching men. So he receives an assignment after he has been, faith has been put into him. And when they had bought their brought their boats to land and left everything and followed him. And so they responded. They responded and obeyed God and took a step. They gave up everything because of this Jesus that was worth it. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, So a couple closing thoughts, and I'm going to invite the band up. 
um, to wrap us up. Just a couple reminders with this. This isn't just a one-time process with God. This isn't this like big grandiose thing that only special Christians or Pastor Chris or anyone with a mic gets to go through. It's available to each and every one of us. If it's, if it's in the Bible, it means it's for us. So just as an encouragement that it is a daily process. You can even go through this just like the rest acronym. You could go through these in your quiet time with God. I was in prayer and prophetic two hours ago and then went through this in five minutes and God just rocked me with his presence. So it is available at any given moment in these small micro moments. It doesn't have to be these macro encounters with God. God desires those macro moments, but he also just desires the small moments with our hearts. When we are invited into God's plan from this place of rest, it's not always easy and it's, it's always worth it, but you might not always see the fruit. A lot of people think, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus and then everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be really fun and hunky-dory. Um, and scripture and life shows us that um, that's not always the case. Um, Jesus promises that he says, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we can remember we can remember these moments when we step out into the invitation because the invitation sometimes is hard. Isaiah had to preach hard words to people that had hard hearts that might not, um, that essentially that people were gonna destroy them. But the prophetic words that he got to, to say, but God, even in the midst of their stubbornness and their brokenness and their disobedience, that God was going to do amazing things in and through that brokenness. But Isaiah actually didn't get to see a lot of that, the things that he spoke. It was same with Peter. He had struggles throughout his walk with Jesus. He, he abandoned Jesus. He denied Jesus. Uh, he had struggles even after he saw the resurrected Jesus. He was crucified just as, um, just as his Lord was. Um, but it was worth it because we get to read his words in scripture in the New Testament and it can encourage us to know Jesus. And that's why it's so important to go through this rest process to, to be working with God from a place of rest. Because if we work for rest, we'll burn out and the time and the trials of our life will, will uh, make us fade away. But when we operate from rest, um, we're able to make it with God and we're able to go faster and farther and get to see what God does in and through us and fill us with more purpose than we ever could create on our own. So closing, closing verse, just to remind us that it is from a place of rest, not for rest, that we get to partner with God. Genesis 1, taking it back to the creation story, uh, starting in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In, sorry, I lost my place. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food and the beasts of the earth to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day, the last day of his creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from his work and all that he had done in creation. And I bring this up to remind us that God works six days and it's the last thing he does. He sets the scene for humanity. He creates the space for us to thrive in and to have relationship with. And from that place, he finishes and it's rest. And so the beginning of our creation, the beginning of our life, we start in God's work and God's rest. And so we get to rest, we get to enjoy. So God works six days to rest on the seventh and we start our, our life and our day on the seventh from rest so we can step in to partnering with him on the rest of the days. So I'm just gonna pray for us. Um, we'll love to have uh, any pastoral leadership team, prayer and prophetic, any uh, life group leaders, they will be in the back. Um, if you need prayer for anything, um, a couple things that were highlighted to me is if you are struggling in your life and you just need to get like real with your emotions with God and you just need someone to process with, these people are care for you. They wanna walk with you. They wanna point you to Jesus and, and help you in that relationship and feel with you. Um, the Bible says that we weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn and laugh with those who laugh. Um, and we want to be those people. So if you need prayer today and you need struggling and processing your emotions with God. And the other invitation is if there is a, if you feel like there's been a tug from God to respond to a call like, hey, I'm really supposed to encourage this person or hey, I'm really, I feel like God's asking me to move here or do this. Um, if there's a tug on your heart and you just need a little encouragement, as, as Chris said, encouragement is to put courage into somebody and something so that we can step out in obedience with God. Go receive prayer. It is there for you. It is ready. I'm probably going to go receive prayer too. So uh, I'm going to pray and then this incredibly talented worship team is going to lead us. So God, thank you that we don't have to prove ourselves, that we get to encounter you and from your rest we get to enter your rest as Hebrews says and from that place we get to partner with you we don't just stay there we don't just um, enjoy it and then coast through our lives but we respond and we say here I am Lord send me so God will you just change us will you highlight those places where we get to step into with more faith and will you give us courage to do it together and see you move in it no matter what the cost God we love you. You are so worthy. You are so good. Amen.